This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 238. And I have a wonderful show for you this week with uh, Elise Comerford, and she is joining me to discuss food and mental health. And we kind of go in two different directions here with today's show. Food as it pertains to improving our mental health and uh, minimizing things like anxiety uh, and depression, but also the uh, aspect of when one is unwell and having to look after their health and work on it in a really proactive way to get themselves back to homeostasis, get themselves back to feeling well there is a mental health implication in that journey. There can be a lot of stress, especially if you've been uh, uh, encouraged to embark upon a sort of dietary protocol or some other health protocol. Maybe there's recovery from a big surgery and uh, the impact that uh, having to do specific things for our health that mean we have to change quite a few things about the way we do stuff can also impact our mental health. So we actually cover both of those aspects in today's show. And I know there are a lot of families in this community who have uh, children who perhaps have allergies, anaphylaxis, uh, and, you know, you constantly have to navigate the parental stress of making sure your child is going to be okay in a social situation Uh, but also uh, raise a child that doesn't have food anxiety because of the way they might have to eat for now or forever. Uh, There's a lot of things at play when it comes to food and mental health. So we look at foods for good mental health and we also look at food changes and restrictions and how that can impact our mental health and what to do there. So it's a really, really great show for anyone who has been there, is currently experiencing any kind of mental health issues. Uh, And we, Elise is actually a a highly specialised GAPS practitioner. So gut and uh, physiology syndrome or gut and psychology syndrome as coined and developed by uh, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. Uh, And if you haven't heard about that, it is a a gut healing protocol that can be used in situations. uh, And I know um, Jo Witten uh, from Quirky Cooking shared very openly how it supported her and her family over the years. Uh, And then just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with the wonderful Eco with Em, Emily Ellers, who just brought out that beautiful book, Hope is a Verb. And uh, she is undergoing the GAPS protocol now. And that can be a real struggle for someone like Em, who has uh, in the past completely eliminated meat and fish from her diet uh, 
because she felt that that was the best way to go for the environment at the time. But what so often happens is, and it doesn't happen to everybody, sometimes people thrive beautifully on vegan and vegetarian diets. I know those people. So you know me, I will never tell anyone they have to eat a certain way. But what if you don't? Uh, I really don't think we should shame people. And because as we learn and research, and I've written a whole book on it that's coming out in September, it is far more about the how than the what in terms of whether a food is good or bad for the environment. And by that, I mean how it is farmed, how it is sourced, rather than what it is. Uh, you know, that that kind of learning and understanding uh, can help someone like Em who's needed to actually embark upon the GAPS diet uh, for her child. So, you know, I think what I love about this community and I hope that I emulate this from the top is that we all have ways that help us to thrive and as someone who has and is still recovering from a long-term chronic illness, uh, I think one has to be very gentle on the other if one might not understand or uh, appreciate how someone is having to go about things for their own life, uh, compassion first, and we're all doing the best we can. Uh, so I, I think um, today's episode will be really helpful for people to understand that a little bit better and help us to all just be a little kinder to each other. Um, yeah. So I'm going to kick into that uh, episode in a little second. I want to remind everybody that we have Golo Talks starting next week, Monday the 14th. If you want to be coached by me personally in a private Facebook group across 22 different low tox topics along a five-week journey, uh, you know, I, I can't answer all the questions that come in our DMs and inboxes, and this is just the best way for me to be able to help a big group of people at once and for everyone to see the answers every day. So you go, oh, okay, yep, someone's already asked about that. Uh, and to really help you gain clarity on what it means to go low tox, how one might do it across all the different aspects of your daily life. It is a really empowering journey. I hope you join me. Uh, all the details are either in the show notes or you can head to lowtoxlife.com and hit the courses tab on the options in the menu bar and you'll see Go Low Tox as your number one option. You have a lifetime membership option there as well uh, because there's a lot of content. You know, there's 45 interviews in there now. There's a lot of different swaps, over 3,000 different product recommendations from all around the world. So it doesn't matter where you live, you'll get lots of resources and uh, it's, um, it's a beast. So lifetime membership means you can focus on the few topics that are really important to you right now while you've got me there for your coaching, and then you can come back to other topics as they become relevant to you down the track. So that's a great option. It's only $189 Australian, and you have that for life. Uh, and I think that works out to be like 120 or 130 euro or uh, US dollars. So very good value. Uh, it is literally 12, well, probably more like 17 to 20 years of my research uh, and uh, wonderful environmental ac uh, activists, scientists, doctors, uh, building biologists, uh, textile specialists, uh, EMF specialists, you, you, you name it. We've got everybody in there. Um, holistic pets. Uh, there's, there's just so much fantastic content in there to, to help you on your low tox way. So I hope you do check it out and join me next Monday. 
Uh, Now we have a wonderful new show supporter given it is the start of the month and I want to welcome back one of my favorite supplement brands. Uh, I have been using Nordic Naturals for years uh, and actually I think, yeah, probably about six, six or seven years. And uh, it wasn't easy to get once upon a time, but it is actually a lot easier to come across these days, uh, both in Australia and in the US. Uh, I'm not too sure for our European peeps, but given it is a Nordic uh, brand uh, from Northern Europe, I'm sure it's quite easy for you to get too. Now, there's been a lot of poo-pooing of uh, fish oils uh, in recent weeks because of a recent documentary, Seaspiracy. And look, I am all for the incredible work that that documentary did to uncover a lot of the injustices in the fishing industry, uh, a lot of the overfishing uh, palaver that means uh, fish populations are uh, reducing year on year. And I am all for actually being very mindful of how much fish we eat, what kind of fish we eat and uh, where it comes from and really starting to have a much more direct connection to our sourcing. So I will say that because I think it really was an important documentary for starting a conversation. But as with Cowspiracy, unfortunately, the whole picture isn't told, the good stories aren't told, and there really are some incredible stories in um, in the fishing space. I interviewed a, an incredible doctor of, um, uh, oh gosh, I don't know what his doctor it was in, I just can't remember it, Jeremy Prince, uh, right now, but he is in our Real Food Rockstars course because I really wanted someone who was at the forefront of studying fisheries worldwide to see whether there was a way to do fisheries uh, sustainably and regeneratively, of course, which is even more important than sustainable because we need to replenish and regenerate. And yes, there is. And yes, there are people doing great work. So to that end, uh, I um, obviously being a long-term fish oil uh, taker myself, I made sure that we had done our due diligence uh, to ensure that we could partner with uh, the wonderful Nordic Naturals and big ticks, we're all good. Uh, I'm relieved, of course, because it is honestly one of the supplements that has made the biggest difference to my my life and my son's life, both of us being impacted by mould. Uh, and I, I can't tell you the difference that it makes actually. So obviously you would have heard of omega-3s and omega-3s are essential fatty acids. Uh, they're a nutritional cornerstone. The thing is like with certain vitamins and minerals, we can't produce them on our own. So we really do need to get these fats from the diet or from supplementation and supplementation can be quite key here because Often uh, we can't convert some of the uh, things like uh, alpha lipoic acids into EPA and DHA very efficiently from plant foods Uh, and uh, it, it can be quite tricky and often the EPA levels are very low uh, from plant sources compared to the DHA levels. So it is one of the reasons why I know quite a few um, vegan and vegetarian friends actually do allow for uh, an, a, a, a fish oil supplement in their mix. And I've spoken to naturopaths and nutritionists about this. My son's paediatrician is actually a vegan herself and she recommends 
uh, the high-dose cod liver oil that we take uh, for my son. So, you know, sometimes, as I was talking about in the intro, there are... There are things you might want to do, but then sometimes you have to do it and then that allows you to do all the other things. And so we do the best we can with the options and the framework with which we're presented, right? So in omega-3s, the two main omega-3s are EPA and DHA. And interestingly, and that's why I mentioned uh, sometimes not being able to get a good enough EPA level in some of the plant uh, origin um, omega-3s, and omega-3 conversion opportunities, uh, is um, that they do different things. And I'm not going to tell you what this acid's name is, or maybe I should, and you can just laugh at me. Ecosapentanoic, ecosapentanoic acid, and DHA is docosahexanoic. There you go. Have a giggle. Um, So interestingly, I was looking at the research between why both of them are important, and it is because each of them do different things in the research. Uh, So this is why you really might want to look at what the levels are in the current supplement you're taking and take a look by uh, comparison at the Nordic Naturals options uh, because they're the highest I've found of um, EPA-DHA ratio. So EPA in the research is linked to, and this is why if I take a DHA-only supplement, I feel it straight away, uh, it is linked to reducing and controlling chronic inflammation, folks. Uh, so obviously we have to put the word may do this because it is in the research. It is it doesn't mean that it does it for everybody. And I want you to always, uh, I, I want to encourage always a practitioner conversation around supplements, even if that's seeing a naturopath or a nutritionist at your health shop, um, which is always a great option to just have a little chat about your health history, what you're considering, and then them helping you with uh, another option with the right option for you. Uh, But that could be why I know within three or four days whether I have accidentally forgotten to take my teaspoon of, uh, um, I take a teaspoon twice a day. Now, remember, I am me, you are you, I am not your doctor, I am not a doctor. So please do chat with uh, someone about how to decide how much you need to take. But I don't take a maintenance or deficiency avoiding dose, I take a proactive support dose, uh, which needs to be one gram or more. Uh, and uh, more like uh, two grams in my case, which is quite high, but that is uh, because we are recovering from mold illness and my son has to take a tablespoon a day. So, and really for him, I notice it massively in uh, the difference between whether he gets those little bumps on the tops of his arms and also in his uh, cognitive uh, area and um fine motor skills. It's really quite an incredible result. And as I said, these are observations of N equals one, me and my son. Uh, But uh, this is also in the research. Uh, So very, very interesting stuff. And then DHA is linked uh, to supporting people with arthritis, uh, maintaining healthy triglyceride levels, improving arterial health. So um, blood pressure, obviously, and then cardiac arrhythmias. So given I had cardiac arrhythmias um, with mold illness, I don't get them anymore, thank goodness. Um, But uh, this has really been uh, paramount in my supplement regime. So yes, I'm giving it a glowing report and it's because it has really helped us. Uh, So, you know, sometimes um, 
Sometimes just speaking from the heart is the best way to share a a wonderful brand like Nordic Naturals. And over the month, I'll talk about different aspects. I'll share, uh, you know, you can have a look actually in the show notes. I've put a wonderful uh, um, video that they've put together about sourcing and how they actually are a truly uh, sustainable cod fishery. and uh, it, it's it's a beautiful story. It's a great, actually, it's a great founder story. The founder was a gymnast as a young boy uh, and teenager, and uh, he was given this cod liver oil from Norway, where he grew up, uh, as uh, as medicine for all his aches and pains as a gymnast. And then he went to study in the US. He couldn't find anything in the US that hit the spot like his stuff from back home. And given he was studying an MBA, it was kind of what paved the way for Nordic Naturals to be founded. So if you wanted to know, because everyone always wants to know what I take, I take the Arctic cod liver oil with the little bonus D in there. uh, And uh, we take the lemon flavor. It's not fishy at all. My son loves it. Uh, Sometimes if he's away on camp or at a sleepover, I give him the capsules. He actually just likes to chew on those. It's not my thing, but, you know, whatever the 11-year-old wants to do, that's fine. Uh, but both are fantastic. I find the dose slightly higher in the uh, liquid, so it's just easier to get what we need by taking the liquid. Uh, but it's up to you. All the details are in the show notes, and we've got a little giveaway as well. So pop a comment in the show notes if you fancy uh, trying it, and you will receive uh, the lucky winner is going to get uh, the Arctic Cod Liver Oil 60 Soft Gels and a bottle of the liquid lemon flavour in the 237ml. Voila. Uh, so let's hook into this conversation about mental health and food uh, with Elise Comerford. I really hope you enjoyed. I can't wait to hear what you guys think uh, because I think it, it's really going to help a lot of people who need it. Hello, Elise Comerford. How are you? I'm great, Alex Stewart. How are you? I'm great. And I'm really excited about this conversation because we have known each other for years now. Uh, We had the pleasure of meeting on a beautiful retreat that uh, Joe and Fuad put on up in far north Queensland in uh, Joe's beautiful part of the world uh, about four years ago now. And I had just had my first year of going, what the hey now about my health and SIRS and, um, and actually finally figuring out that it was mold. Um, nothing like being at a um, GAPS retreat with tons of high histamine food <laughs> <laughs> right when I figured that out. But the cooks were amazing. And, um, and we had some really interesting nutritional discussions at the time as well. And what's interesting to me and what I'm particularly excited about with our uh, conversation tonight is uh, how both of us have started over the years to peel, as we've peeled back the onion layers in supporting not only ourselves but other people, um, you especially with clients through nutritional uh, therapy, um, is that it's not always just the food. There are so many other factors. And while food seems to be the, um, you know, the lowest hanging fruit, pardon the pun, and the easiest one for us to accept that we might need to do some things and take some things away and put some things in, the harder thing is to go big picture. And that's what we're doing tonight, which I'm really excited about. So to kick this off, uh, I would love for you to just share a little bit about your background 
and how you came to be so highly specialized in the area that you are today. So my story is a little bit typical, I guess, in that it's my own health issues that have driven me to research so much and gain the knowledge that I have and feel so passionate about the area that I work in. Because one thing I know for sure is that when you have dealt with health issues like you and I have, you feel very, very passionate about showing people that it doesn't have to be that way. So that's what it really feels like for me. I just, I'm exposed to a sick part of our society, I guess. Like I'm exposed to that population because they're the people that come and see me. So I'm highly aware of how many people there are out there that are dealing with a lot of chronic health conditions and there is so much that can be resolved. So I just feel really passionate about getting that message out there and helping people to resolve these issues that can seem quite complex and hard to get to the bottom of. So I like being that detective and getting to the bottom of it. And with my own health, it was never anything that was so bad that I could look at, anyone would have looked at me and said that I was a really sick person. It was all these little niggly things over time from childhood onwards that just became intolerable to me in the sense of I just didn't want to keep going on that way. And it was getting worse. And so I could see where it was leading as well. So in childhood, it was just little things like uh, had really dark circles under my eyes. I was prone to ear infections and took quite a bit of antibiotics for that. I used to get pains in the belly that my mum would take me to the doctor and it was never explained. Like they just kind of said, we, we don't really know what's going on there. And as you know, through my childhood, I would get pains in my knees. I was prone to thrush, so oral thrush as a child. And then as I got older, it became vaginal thrush as well. And when it came to period years, um, I my skin got really bad. So I got lots of hormonal acne all over my face, neck, back, shoulders, which is horrible. And now people tell me how amazing my skin is, which I totally, I like. And it is amazing. <laughs> You're glowing. When people say that, I'm like, thank you, because I really suffered with my skin. And I had really bad breath, so pimply skin and bad breath. As as if the teenage years aren't hard enough. As if it's not hard enough. (laughs) So confused and then also dealing with all of that. Mm. Um, And... Oh, there's, I always, I say this every time that I should have the list next to me because I tend to forget all the little things, Um, but sinus issues, I used to get chronic sinus infections. Sounds like there was some mold in your life. Well, that is something I've considered, but um, I think there's, there's antibiotic use. and, And when I got my period and the skin was breaking out, I took a lot of antibiotics and I went like on that whole six months of antibiotics and I can't remember what medication I took for my skin, but I think it might've been Roaccutane. It was the ones of like, don't go out in the sun because whatever you're taking. Is yeah, right. that's the one. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I was taking that and things did go downhill there. So 
I was cesarean born and bottle fed, which I know did affect my gut from the start and which, you know, that's all reversible. But, um, and my mum did have a lot of amalgam fillings put in between having my brother and I. So Mm. that's one of the things I think really impacted on my health that right from the start, I got a big load of metals in my system. When you got metals in your system, you usually have candida to go along with it. And Mm. so that's what I think was driving the skin, the sinus infections, the thrush, um, I got, when I was like 14, I got an abscess in my breast that was so bad. I could not even wear a t-shirt, like nothing could touch it. It was oh my so gosh, painful. And I remember my friend and I, when it started coming on, it just came on all of a sudden. I was staying over at a friend's house and we got out some like family health textbook and we managed so health started for me way back then oh my goodness <laughs> I became a health detective and my friend and I managed to diagnose it before I even went and saw a doctor we'd gone through this massive textbook that's impressive that had and we'd found that it was an abscess and when I went to the doctor it was confirmed to be an abscess which is usually only something you would see in a breastfeeding mother the doctor just could not believe he was looking at a 13 or 14 year old girl with a massive abscess it was so painful um my breath my breasts were riddled with cysts as well I used to get cysts on my ovaries too so when I say all of this and I listed out I'm like gosh this is one sick person but I wasn't so mm. it wasn't like I was just this Still unhealthy and going to the parties and doing exactly yes yeah. going to the parties drinking the things that you shouldn't be drinking at that age my mm. brain cells um but still living an active life playing sport enjoying time with my friends um and the digestive stuff so constipation and diarrhea they were the norm to me I didn't even know diarrhea wasn't normal Mm. until I finally had a doctor ask me what my stools were like and I think it was like when I was 16 16 that I first ever had a doctor ask me what are your stools like and my mum sitting next to me I'm like oh like I have diarrhea a lot or I'm like, don't go for days. And the doctor's like, oh, that's not all. My mum's like, really? I'm like, yeah, like I just thought that was normal. I know. (laughs) And that just highlights how we are so obsessed with poo with our babies and then all of a sudden it's a conversation we stop having. I just love that my son will say, Mom, can you just come and look at my poo? Like, what's up? And we'll just have a little chat and then we're like, yeah, you maybe lay off the rice for a couple of days and, you know, just make sure you don't have a sushi after school at the train station or whatever. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just move on. But it's like it's such an important thing to check in on. And that you were 16 the first time you were asked. I actually don't think I was asked until I saw a naturopath in my late 20s. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with my GP that I did eventually get asked. But, yeah, that's how normal I thought that was at the time. I just didn't really think anything of it. So diarrhoea and rushing to the bathroom was something I was I just can't remember not having. I just always had it um, through my teen years. And so as it got into my later teens, it became more mental health. Um, Still all the digestive stuff, but like bloating and intolerance was getting worse. And the anxiety, depression side of things was getting worse for me. And so in my 20s, when that was all worsening, that was kind of like that point of something's got to give here. And it was mostly to do with what I would call IBS symptoms now. I just never had it diagnosed at the time. Not that, you know, really IBS isn't a diagnosis. It's a we don't know what's wrong with you, so we're going to call it IBS. Yeah, Um, exactly. 
Yeah. So it was mostly that, that I was, you know, going out with friends or it created, created a lot of anxiety. They're rushing to the bathroom. They're not knowing they're feeling just bloated all the time. I didn't know what it felt like not to be bloated. Um, so I started looking at it, you know, addressing that. And I tried, you know, lots of different things. I thought I could go to the chemist and buy this three-step, um, I was from a health food shop, actually. It's like, take this, then this, then this, and then you're all better. But that didn't really work. (laughs) Um, I wish wish that worked. It would have been so much easier. (laughs) It would have been much easier. You could have avoided all the study and just gone on with a normal life. Yeah, I could have become a salesperson for this product. (laughs) There you go. Um, So that did not happen, though. And so I tried, like, I was living in Byron Bay. I tried vegetarian and I tried vegan. They didn't work. I just got really, really anemic when I tried that. And eventually I just kind of got really frustrated and just went, I'm going to eat real food. I was studying naturopathy at the time Mm. and I decided to just eat things as they grew out of the ground or on an animal. And I just thought, surely if I just eat the actual food, that surely that I will be okay and and that I'm going to feel better. But I saw that as a cleanse, not something sustainable. Like to me, that was like, did Mm. you ever stay eating like that? So (laughs) I ate like that for a little while, felt much better. Everyone was like, wow, you look great. Your skin's glowing. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing a cleanse. Um, And then I stopped and then I was like, it didn't work because now it's just all gone back to how it was. um, Because Ah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so that was a really, it's just a really interesting one to reflect on. But yeah, from there, I just, falling pregnant with my son was a really good um, push to go really deep into the gut health stuff. I was already there studying, becoming, um, my undergrad was exercise and sports science, and then postgraduate was human nutrition. And then just delving into all the gut health stuff after that. And so that all kind of happened all over that time of having my son and just going really, really deep into the gut health side of things. And it was just all in layers. Like I would just do one thing, find that helps, but it didn't quite get me there. And, you know, it was just all layers, layer upon layer of changing and adjusting and till I finally got there and gaps was a big part of the picture for me um, in just using those principles to rebuild my gut to the point where I can now have a diet that is more I I don't have to be obsessive anymore Mm. I don't have to worry I could eat most things and then you know I might feel like oh that didn't really go down so well but it's not going to be running to the bathroom so that was always the end goal for me Mm. was um to be able to eat if you know not stress over food anymore yeah nutritional flexibility exactly Mm. I love having that Mm. um But yeah, I guess that's a whole big story in itself too, because I did not have that. No. And so many people don't. And I find, uh, you know, sometimes people find things like the low tox life or the quirky cooking community, uh, you know, whatever it is that people find, they find it eating, only being able to tolerate like 10 foods. And uh, you just, I mean, my heart goes out to people who are in that space and I think um, there, are, there are different paths to healing. There isn't just gaps. There are quite a few different ways one could go about it. Um, but the overarching thing that I just keep coming back to at the moment is things like central nervous system health, vagus nerve tone, um, 
And the, the way I learned that was if I'm in a mouldy house for a period of time, my digestive system completely shuts down. Uh, and if I'm out of mould for a good period of time, I'm pooping two, three times a day perfectly, nice little soft logs, like nothing bizarre going on. Healthy, healthy, healthy gut can eat whatever. Um, obviously, I choose not to because we know what fuels the body best in our, In I'm a bit of a 90-10 kind of gal. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it was such a wake-up call for me. It's like, oh, it's not just food. Yeah, and I guess it's it's getting that understanding of that two-way street. Um, and I guess in the way that I work now, it's really about digging for that root cause, finding what that root cause is for somebody because the root cause is not all, always the food um, and very often it's not the root cause. So, and I the way I see food... I often say I'm a nutritionist that says that food is not the most important thing um, because it's not. And I think with my journey, I got so obsessive on the food side of things and it became from fear because it was changing food and using food as medicine that helped my gut heal. And so letting go of that was really scary because it was like, oh, well, what if I start eating other things I'm going to go back to where I was so that felt really scary but what happened was because I never had my bigger picture focus from the start it was just heal the gut feel better so I stop having these symptoms and then everything will be okay I actually got myself in a situation of a lot of stress so I had started my consulting. I've been consulting for a few years. I'd started doing work with Joe Witten from Quirky Cooking. As you can imagine, that made my business go boom. Um, and I also at that very same time opened up a health food store in Sydney and from scratch, like ordering all the products, starting it all, you know, graphic design or website, everything. Um, so doing all that, that they're like, you need two humans for those two things. Like, you know, starting a health food shop and running that is one person's job and then consulting full-time is another person's job and then parenting is another person's job. So, like, I was doing all three um, and I just got myself into an absolute state of overwhelm and it was very confusing because I was like, you know, I've done all this work, I've healed my gut, I'm still eating all the same way and, like, I'm so perfect with my diet. Why is my health plummeting? And I was like, I need to be more strict. Like I need to do gaps intro again. I need to fast on stocks. I need to, like, I just haven't done enough. And I need, it, it was just like, it made no sense because my food hadn't changed. What was happening was that I was in a state of stress. I was doing too much. I was just sympathetic dominance. I was fight or flight, like, so I was in that state. So that was a massive lesson to me. And I had to pretty much shut my shop. I had to make tough decisions. I had to close my shop. I had to choose, like, is it consulting or is it a shop? And I chose the shop, uh, the consulting. Um, and I also had to take a few months off consulting as well to try and recover. So this, and I moved. So I moved up to the Northern Rivers, changed our whole lifestyle, took pretty much took two months off 
not consulting much over that time. And I just like, I'd put on like 10 kilos as well, like with all the stress. And so then the weight dropped, like my health improved and suddenly I was better. And when I moved, I, I did relax a little bit with food too. So it, that was a massive lesson to me and that completely changed how I practice. So I went back into it from there very differently because something that had happened at the same time was I was starting to get a bit uncomfortable with how, what kind of state my clients were in once we'd done gaps. So I'd kind of taken them through that process, you know, done gaps intro with them and the family. Sometimes that's really stressful. And then leaving them in a state where they're more obsessive over food than they've ever been and this hypervigilant state. And when you're hypervigilant and worrying and thinking about every decision on, oh, we're going to go out for dinner there. And then you are in fight or flight just mm-hmm. constantly, which is like the opposite. And the same goes like- for anyone trying to strictly abide by any diet. Yes. Or any way diet. of eating. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's like, um, sacrificing your health in order to be healthy that's what i call it now it's like Mm. sacrificing our health in order to be healthy and that's what we're doing with being this like um being so strict and 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 keeping ourselves high alert so i really like um talking about the brain and i'm so interested in brain waves and how that all works and how brain waves then affect nervous system and beta brain wave and that's what we're in most of the day when we're thinking, planning, doing, having conversations, listening to this right now, you'll be in beta, beta brainwaves because you're learning, hearing new terms. I'm in beta brainwaves, probably kind of high beta because I'm thinking about what I'm saying and um, teaching and talking. So beta brainwaves is that we're doing planning, you know, things are going on. And when we're constantly in that beta brainwave state, it can then become this low grade chronic stress. So another type of brainwave is called alpha brainwaves. And these ones are more like your daydreamy, you know, still awake, still alert, but more daydreamy, you know, going for a walk, doing the gardening, um, spending time in nature. Um, You can get that like meditation as well. So it's those kind of brainwaves. And when we're stuck in the beta all the time, it's just putting us in this state of low grade chronic stress which is a massive problem so Mm. we're worrying all like think of if if you're constantly thinking planning doing around food and there's that obsessiveness around that it's just another way that you're staying stuck in low grade chronic stress which is just not conducive to good health no or healing if you're sick exactly yeah so that's what i was noticing well it had just become really apparent to me even before I took that break, that there's something not right here. Mm. I don't feel good about the way I'm leaving my clients. Like we do gaps. They've seen amazing changes with their gut. We've seen intolerance results. So we were actually still seeing things heal even while still being in this somewhat sympathetic state, which is Mm. amazing. But um, yeah, I just felt really uncomfortable with that. This doesn't feel right, how they're being left here more worried, more obsessed over food and with more fear. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Elise. Like as I was building the pillars of low-tox life when I first decided to define what this thing was, uh, you know, obviously food, body, home, but I just especially after taking the first couple of people, um, the first few hundred people rather through Go Low Tox, the very first rounds that I ran, 
and seeing that some people were able to kind of catch the vibe of, yeah, you do what you can and you swap things out and you phase things out. But as an educator or a practitioner, we have the responsibility to really keep an eye out for the people who can't do that themselves and who need to be uh, not just given the information, but given the positive psychology as well, so that it is a pleasant and empowering experience, a happy and curious experience, even if it's challenging, um, rather than a stressful experience that we need to execute to perfection, otherwise we've failed and you know, and I remember seeing it and thinking, nope, we're bringing mind in this because the mind is just as important as all the rest. I saw so many people stressed out about not being able to access uh, or, or eat organic at their mate's barbecue or whatever. And you just think this is not what life is, you know. it's uh, and, and then, of course, all the um, neurological research comes out over the last decade that we've seen since we both started our businesses and you really start to see just how massive a role our nervous systems play in our gut health, our brain plays in our gut health. And and so I wanted to ask you a few questions around that. Um, for, like, I think I, I'd like to generally get your ideas on Yes, we've talked about stress, but we haven't talked about some of the other things uh, that have contributed to us just having such weak inner environments in terms of our digestive health in the first place. What do you attribute the biggest players on top of stress? So I would say it's this degradation of our microbiome generationally so if I'm I'm kind of thinking from the start of life to tell you what what would be impacting so that would come in there that we're we're kind of getting the gut health of our parents so that there's it's just you know generation to generation we're degrading the microbiome which I'll get to the ways other ways that I think that that's happening so their birth in a hospital saves lives for some people um so i'm not saying that it's not necessary but it's not always necessary and it does impact on the microbiome because you are exposed to the bacteria in the hospital um, and that affects the microbiome being in a sterile environment like that then there's also the way birth happens so whether birth happens through passing through the vaginal canal or a cesarean section again cesarean sections can be life-saving for both mother and baby so they were life-saving for me and my bub and they yeah. were life-saving for me um, mm. my mother um so yeah and me and my mum as well yeah yeah. Mm. yeah yeah so um the great thing is that nowadays we do know about vaginal swabbing that you can mm. swab the vagina and then the baby to get that in. I was two years yeah. shy of that that I coming know. out. I was like, darn yeah. it, that would have been my good. Mom, my mum wishes she knew that one. Mm. Um, so yeah, so um, so there's those things impacting whether or not breastfeeding. Again, another sensitive subject, and it's not me passing judgment on whether you can breastfeed or not. My mum couldn't, um, so that was something that I didn't get. Um, so, but that affects our gut health as well. And then going on from there, exposure to medications, antibiotics is a big one, and then chemicals. So chemicals in our environment, chemicals in our foods, um, eating, you know, lots of processed foods, alcohol, preservatives, additives, 
antibiotics in the meat um, so in our food system so they I would say they're they're the biggest ones in what we're putting in on and around our body and then also uh, the you know the stress part plays a huge role as well yeah so let's get onto that then how how can we actually measure how big a role our nervous system is playing in our gut health uh and and like I guess what I'm trying to say there is when someone is starting to look at why they feel so crap <laughs> and you know investigating and having a look at and reacting to different foods and having all sorts of symptoms what is a way that we can actually uh, go okay so about 80 percent of this is stress and 20 percent of this is actually um, things that we need to do to improve your gut bugs how do you how do you get there with different people yeah, it'd be so great if there was a test for that. Wouldn't it? I wish, I wish there was a test for that. <laughs> um, and I guess it's like it's like there's two ends to this because we know that the brain communicates with the gut and the gut communicates with the brain. And so by diving in and trying to find a root cause is probably the main way we get to that. Um, so you, for example, when the root cause is mold, then we know that it's more of a nervous system influence for a lot of my clients, we dig down to the root cause. And, um, what I see a lot of is exposure to toxins that's really congested their liver. Um, and then we can see evidence of their liver not functioning properly all throughout their life. And then we have this toxic buildup that affects the microbiome or they might have had a lot a lot of antibiotic use um, and and they've had those issues right from the start like prone to infections ear infections things like that as a child so that's when I, I you know you can see there's more uh, the root causes being more in the gut so I guess it's that digging for that root cause and then just peeling it back layer by layer so because that two-way communication, the gut, the brain, the brain, the gut, and the, you know, the vagus nerve connecting the two. Um, and basically if there's inflammation going on in the gut, that's impacting the vagus nerve and therefore the brain function. And then it's going the other way. So if we're stressed and we're constantly like using and abusing our HPA axis, which is like our, you know, fight or flight system and our adrenals, then that's sending messages to the gut and impacting on it. So it can be difficult to find where that sits when we know there's this two-way street. And it's, it's, the answer is usually just both and that you need to be working on both. But one thing I do know for sure is that if you are not working on reducing stress, you just can't do it with food alone. I've never seen anybody be able to get the whole way there with food alone and be in a really good balanced place. Like it has to, the stress has to come into it. And the way I teach now, and it's the way Joe Whitten and I teach in our programs as well, it all starts with stress. Like that's where we begin because I see that as laying a foundation. And I learned that lesson the hard way in that, basically trying to build the house first it comes toppling down and that's what happened for me because I didn't have a good foundation it's like 
if you're in business and you're going to start a business you or you have a big project coming up you plan you do a plan yeah um, what's that what's that saying you can't give a fresh coat of paint to a burning building ah i love it mm. Mm. <laughs> um and very true so and that's kind of what it's like it's like, that's pretty much exactly what it's like when it's like my health is terrible and it's like we'll try spirulina it's like no come on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the superfood's not going to do it. Um, so, yeah, we really focus on that stress side of things first is building that foundation. So I get people to actually think about what is my big picture aim here? And so I know if, I, if I'd known this way back then, um, when I started working on my gut, I would have been more aware of what my big picture aim is. And in developing a big picture aim, it's good to underst- understand how do people live long, healthy, happy lives? It's not because they got really obsessed about their diet and followed the right protocols, got the gold star because they followed it perfectly um, and stuck to all the things and had all the superfoods and, you know, looked at everyone's Instagram account and found what's the best thing to have. You know, that's not why people live long, healthy, happy lives. So if we kind of just trace it back to the start and we go, well, you know, that's most people's goal. How do we get there? Well, if we look at the blue zones and we know the ways we get there, nutrition, food, it's it's one small part. It's like having community connections, having a purpose in life and a meaning, feeling connected to the people around you. It's moving naturally, not necessarily like F45, seven days a week until you vomit. Um, It's moving naturally. It's having a sense of belonging um they put their loved ones first so this is the, you know those blue zone areas of the world um that's like a career in greece and okinawa in japan um the seventh day of ventus in america um so these are the you know these have been studied to and we know that these these are the factors that help them to live long healthy happy lives nutrition's a part of it you know eating lots of vegetables um not necessarily being vegetarian only one of those of the blue zones is and that's the seventh day Adventist. um but it's you know eating lots of fresh fruit and veggies and eating to your only 80 percent full that 80 20 rule um and drinking a wine at five funnily enough so i always joke that i have to start drinking because that's gonna help <laughs> live a healthy, happy life yeah um, <laughs> So, you you know, the food and nutrition is just one piece of that puzzle. So I feel like it's now my due diligence to paint that picture for people to go, Mm -hmm. hey, we want to live long, healthy, healthy, happy lives. That's really why we're here talking about nutrition. So I just want you to know, uh, this is my disclaimer, that's just one piece. Like you're never going to get there just focusing on that. There is so much more to this picture. hundred so, percent. Yeah. So when was the last there. time you saw your bestie? When yes. was the last time you took a walk in, na- in nature? When was the last time you volunteered for a cause that yeah. you felt you a higher purpose fun? towards? Are you having yeah. a great time? Yeah. yeah. Are you doing something creative? Are you expressing mm. yourself? Do you have good connections? Do you get to spend time with the people that you love? Do you put your family first? Like yeah. these things are so important and they make up more of those nine factors. You can look at if anyone listening wants to go and look at them, just go to bluezones.com. Yeah. Uh, Dan Butner's research is fantastic. Um, and I think amazing. he and Sorry. his wife are vegan uh, from memory or very close to, but um, as you said, it's only one of the nine, uh, the the studied communities that mm. is fully vegetarian. Often you see a bit of meat or fish 
um, in most blue zones diets as well. So for yeah. people who are omnivorous out there listening, don't worry, no one's trying to convert you to anything. And no, definitely not. And I vice versa. Omnivorous. <laughs> yeah, and vice versa. You know, it's um, yeah. it's all about us finding what that food piece is that looks right for us and feels good for us as well as looking at all the other things mm-hmm. yeah, in, and am- in and amongst that's the theme for tonight's conversation yes um, definitely. so uh in terms of um foods as kryptonite yes i know i mean we've obviously said a few times now that stress has a huge impact but why can some foods be so detrimental and have such huge reactions um, to certain people? And, you know, I mean, if you look at some technical things like organic acids and, and all of that kind of stuff, you get some pretty juicy data on the bio-individual situation. Um, but how do we get there? Why is it so different um, that that guy's going to, like, you know, practically have an anaphylactic fit when he comes near a peanut and then this chick over here is going to break out into a rash when she eats spinach and that guy is going to, you know, and on and on we go. Yeah. So I guess I really look at that kind of thing as red flags, as as symptoms Mm -hmm. rather than the issues themselves. And it's always telling telling us about something deeper that's going on. So I guess one of the great things about looking at the gut from a GAPS perspective is that you do look at these things as the symptom rather than the cause and then they're kind of our pathway in to find out what is actually happening. Gotcha. So So you see it more as an unhappy body. Yeah. There's There's an unhappiness somewhere and we need to find it. Yeah. Yeah. If there's an anaphylactic allergy there's some kind of immune response going on. There's for some reason your body is launching into immune response to that food. And so it's figuring out why that's happening. It's usually leaky gut that um, the leaky guts resulting in food proteins going through into the blood in the way the body doesn't recognize this food. And it's in it's then initiating a response to it. Um, there's something overactive happening in the immune system. So there could be like mast cell activation, which I also see as a symptom. Some people mm. chase that as the cause. It's like, Oh, you're getting histamine responses. Okay. You have mast cell activation disorder. Like it, that's the diagnosis. That's what you have. And oh no. You Cause you've got to say, why have you got mast cell? Activation? Why exactly? Yeah. Why? Um, so I really see those. Yeah. Being the symptom If you know, spinach really set someone off. Perhaps they've got oxalate issues. Why? Probably because their liver is really congested and it's shunting a lot of stuff to the kidneys and that's not coping so well. Um, you know, there's probably bile congestion. It's not flowing properly in the liver. That's generally what I find is going on. There's always an underlying why. Mm. And that's what I find really interesting. And that's when you get someone's whole health history, you can usually find lots of pointers that keep pointing you. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Nice. Okay. And so then if we look at um, beneficial foods, how do we actually start to establish a stripped back safe diet um, for someone uh, taking into account their bio-individual needs situation maybe even beliefs, preferences, and all those things that you have to manage as a practitioner. How do you get to a point where you say, okay, right, we're going to start with this? 
So generally what I do with someone, they come to me knowing I can eat these things. So I generally come, they generally come with that. And I will start there and I'll say, okay, now this is what I want to start adding in. So my focus is always on healing. Okay, why can you only eat those things? Is there low stomach acid, low enzyme production? Let's address that. Um, okay, when you eat fatty things, you're getting all these symptoms. Let's address the liver. Let's get bile flowing. So, um, you know, when you eat FODMAPs foods, you're getting, you know, bloating and all this kind of stuff. Okay, let's address that. Let's look at why there's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is probably because there's low stomach acid, the motility is not good, you know. So we start addressing what's going on because my goal is to get someone tolerating the foods. I don't like low FODMAP diets as an example, when there's SIBO and that's kind of what's um, prescribed for that. And what I see with that is people just get worse and worse and worse because what everything you're taking away is foods that feed gut bacteria. And that will reduce symptoms because it's gut bacteria that are moving up into that area of the small intestine where they shouldn't be. Um, but starving them means starving the rest of your gut bacteria as well so that's not conducive to healing it's conducive to reducing symptoms in the short term and degrading the microbiome in the long term and that is exactly what i see and there's probably people out there listening with SIBO that are nodding their head and saying yes that's exactly what happened to me um, and i find that the longer someone's been following a low fodmap diet the longer it takes for us to get oh, there. Wow. With, yes. It's like, it's just so obvious. So that's, mm. um, yeah. So it's, I really just focus on why are they not tolerating those foods? Let's resolve the underlying problem to why and get them tolerating those foods. And that's what I love about the approach with gaps as well is that is the aim. The mm. aim is to find the solution. So then you can eat a varied whole food diet. So just for anyone that's looking for basics of where to start, whole foods is where I start. So if someone does come to me and they're eating a lot of processed foods, that's our first step. Let's start replacing these. Yeah. Let's find the whole foods that you tolerate and get you there. So that'd usually be like my first step for someone that is not quite there with a whole food diet. Whole foods is always building that foundation. Mm. Um, and just- do you often think that people, or do you often see that people need additional support with things like supplementation of stomach uh, of acid and enzymes while you're working on repairing the gut? Yeah, really mm. common. Um, I, if so, say for example, if someone has like when they eat, they feel like the food really sits there in their stomach, they get bloating and burping and hiccuping and reflux. Then we know we definitely need it. And I guess it's looking like it, we can't just say, well, it's a supplement deficiency. You know, we're not, it's not like no, exactly. meant to have supplements, but it's the kind of damage we've done is not natural. It's like we've put in things that are not natural and we've done damage to our body in a way that we need assistance to recover it. And so their stomach acids are one thing that I see it's really hard to not to go without like they're so helpful and with something like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth low stomach acid is often at 
almost a root cause level. There's still going to be a reason why the stomach acid is low, um, but that kind of leads into it. If we've got low acid in the stomach, then it means we have low acid in that small intestine, which means bacteria can move up in there and live there when they shouldn't be able to, it should be too acidic. So that's, it's like when you're trying to un, you know, peel back the layers of that onion, building up the stomach acid is really important and you, and you just need to get it in there. Um, to kind of, you know, when the stomach acids become too low, things overgrowing there that cause problems, they affect the production of stomach acid. So it's like in this negative feedback loop, they've got to break that cycle. And same with the liver. If the liver's really congested, you need to break that stuff up. There's herbs that I use for that, that break down that congestion in the liver and get that all moving out. And then I'll sometimes use things like um, a bile supplement that'll help digest fats while we get the bile flowing. So it's kind of like unwinding some of those issues. We do need specific supplements to really help with that. But one thing with supplements is I'm extremely picky and I don't use supplements as the answer. So the problem is, as natural therapy practitioners as well, is that we are sold to and by the supplement companies. So they do webinars, they teach us about the testing and all the, you know, you get these results, you use these supplements as, as you know, using supplements as the answer. So I say, if you do go and see a practitioner and you walk out with an armful of supplements and, you know, little or no advice around food then you probably need to find a new practitioner um, it, yeah it's just very unfortunate and and it's very tempting as a practitioner in good faith that when it's so well sold to you you know these companies have pr companies you know it's so well sold to you that you know this supplement does all these amazing things here's all the research it's really going to help people practitioners they want to help people and so when it seems like this easy way to help it's very very uh lucrative um but unfortunately it just doesn't work and supplements often come with all these additives that are detrimental to our gut health so they're not you know um they're they're harming whilst trying to help so what are some of the additives that you don't like in there um microcrystalline cellulose is a derivative of corn mm -hmm. which is not amazing um it's sometimes unavoidable though it's a really hard one to avoid and then all the fillers like all the rice flours and mm. um, things like that and there's often dextrose, so um, there's often sugars in the supplements as well. And then like the colours and there can be flavours in there as well. I'm particularly not a fan of any child supplement because they seem to put all the flavours. I know. What is up with that? I know. It's so annoying. Mm. Uh, so annoying. So you've mentioned um, obviously uh, people being stressed out trying to eat correctly. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you a question about the role that whole foods play in mental health. So let's just say someone has anxiety, depression, uh, um, feels like they're on the hamster wheel of fight or flight and can't get off. Uh, how do you best make the connection between how food can impact and support people who are experiencing those mental health challenges? Well, I guess when that's happening, I would be telling them food's not the most important thing to okay. be thinking about in that moment because being in that fight or flight, I 
Yeah, I guess. It, and this would also change person to person. So say if I know someone has really big histamine issues and it's quite obvious, like the symptoms they're describing, it's very histamine. And then, and as you know, when you're histamine intolerant and you eat high histamine, it can make your brain race. It can put you in that fight or flight. Oh, yeah. So that, you know, for someone like that, I, we may then be going, right, we need to look at, we need to reduce histamines to treat symptom while we get to the root cause of why are you responding this way to histamine. So, you know, in that case, that's how I look at it. If it was someone that was so busy and, and has so much going on, working three jobs, has five kids, you know, trying to do whole foods and do, you know, say they want to do gaps with the whole family, I'd say, no, don't do it. <laughs> that is um, not what you need right now. That is not what you need right now, exactly. Um, and then that's when I'd be looking at, totally just go let's ignore food right now let's just kind of hold that as best you can and let's work on the stress side of things and sometimes it's like you've got to inch both forward so it's like let's let's do what we can to get you out of fight or flight so that we can then make some small changes with food that's going to help you feel better so then we can do more to get you out of fight or flight and reduce stress so it's kind of working on both at the same time I am for some people as well. And for some people, yeah, some people then it might just be like ignore food altogether right now. Like you are so highly stressed out, you know, working 50 hours a day. Um, you know, we've got to change that. So it's, yeah, I guess it, it changes a lot person to person. And so for someone listening, thinking, okay, well, what is it for me? I guess it, it's good to use strategies to look at where am I at right now. Um, so one strategy I use is the wheel of life where you basically you draw a circle and you can put different areas of your life into that circle. Um, you could go and look at the blue zones and use those as the different areas and basically you kind of split the circle to look like a pie, like so draw lines through it till you've got all those areas. And then, you know, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest, one on the inside of the circle, 10 on the outside. You can kind of mark where you're at on each of those things um, and then join the dots and see, get like a visual of what areas of my life aren't going well right now. Sometimes you just need that. It can be a little bit confronting to go, well, these are the areas of life that are important to live long, healthy, happy life. You know, it, you might be thinking, well, I've got to change my diet and I have to go keto. But then you might look at your wheel of life and go, well, my, fan, my, my community connections and are not great or I have absolutely no sense of purpose. So I think having assessment tools is really helpful to go, am I just choosing the lowest hanging fruit but that's not actually the most important thing and might actually cause me more stress right now? Um, so I think that's helpful. And I think it's also helpful to write down everything you've got going on for the week. And you can probably assess from that. Do yeah. I have too much going on? And am mm. I too stressed? And is any of it in, in there fun? Or is it all just things I have to do? I'm such a big advocate for the diary assessment on a weekly basis. Do yeah. I like what is ahead? And if you don't, you've got to change it. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's not going to happen in one week. No. Sometimes there's a few micro shuffles that need to happen over a number of months, yeah. um, even over a year to get to get to a place where you actually look at your diary and you're like, sweet, I'm excited. Yeah. It's a constant work in progress for it me. It is. Because I'm a bit of a type A personality. I like doing things. I get excited by it. I have ideas and 
Like I like, you know, I just like having things on the go. Um, mm. So it's a constant work in progress where I have to go, oh, okay, I'm, yep, I'm there. I've like, yep, plan too much. And sometimes I need to just kind of live that out for a couple of weeks of like, oh yeah, it's got too busy, but I've got some commitments. I've just got to finish off these things, right? Okay, back to the drawing board, got to like cut things back. And, you know, so it's it's always a work in progress for me. Um, yeah, agree. You know, keep that balance happening. Mm. And actually funny story, uh, I did my diary assessment on Sunday for this week and I was like, yay, chatting to Elise this week. Uh, <laughs> and then I went, but what the heck is with the 7.30 booking? Like that is the worst time for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was actually talking to my um, low-tox method coaching students about diary assessment this week and gave this chat as an example. I said, so I'm not just going to bitch about that to myself and um, do it. I'm going to A, try to change it, which I did. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> um, but B, I'm also going to go into Calendly uh, and just make sure that 7.30 is not a bookable time so that I don't arrive at another Sunday down the track and go, oh, what? You know, and it is actually about cultivating and pruning and doing little things that you have to do. I'm just giving you such a tiny example of such an insignificant annoyance in the scheme of things. Um, it was literally just a time slot. Um, but, like, you can do this and you can say, and, and, what? And that's also an example, like, it's representative of your boundaries and what you're willing to do for yourself. So even though I think, it, it, like you said, it does seem insignificant, it is kind of representative of that. Like if you are able, if you do look at things and go, well, I'm going to change it or at least try to. And the funny thing is, is I double booked myself for 7.30 <laughs> oh, because I had a, a live that I was meant to do yesterday, but Dylan wasn't well. So I had a live in um, mine and Joe's uh, program that I was meant to do last night. I was like, it's okay. I'll do it tomorrow night, 7.30. And I you know, told everybody in the group. And then today I went, oh no, I've double booked over Alex's slot. And then I checked my email and I had an email from you saying, can we move it? And I went, great. We can. <laughs> so it's See? funny how sometimes things work out for everybody involved. <laughs> I know. And I just, I, I mean, you know, it might seem like a, a bizarre tangent now that we've actually been speaking about it for about five yeah. minutes. But but the point yeah. is, <laughs> the point is genuinely taking the time to have a cup of tea, sitting down, looking at your week and month ahead and asking yourself what's in there that's inspiring, what's in there that's fun. Um, you know, obviously when you sign up to be a parent, there's a whole bunch of have-tos that we've signed up for. Um, so I don't really count that as like you have to make all of those things fun. That's not what it's about. <laughs> um, uh, because changing nine, ten nappies a day on a newborn, that's, that's not fun. You know, <laughs> you, you get excited that you can do it by the third nappy and then by the fourth and the 40th nappy you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm done with this part, please. Yeah. Can we just cuddle because and just appreciate the cuteness? <laughs> um, but, you know, life isn't all um, roses, but it is about uh, checking in on making sure you got some roses in the bunch. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's it's kind of highlighting the whole idea of planning too. Like 
if you're not planning to do things you enjoy, they're probably not going to happen. And if you're not planning to have balance, you're probably not going to have it. So in the kind of day and age that we live in now, if you aren't working at reducing your stress, then you are probably stressed because we just live in a society, it's conducive to low-grade chronic stress. So if you're not planning or looking or assessing, then you you probably have, yeah, you're probably in that fight or flight state a bit too much um, and wearing out those systems of your body and, you know, that nervous system. And then that's when your digestive system can conk out. Exactly, yeah. And then going back in that other direction too in that if you do have those underlying digestive issues that that is that's one of the ways that's communicating through that vagus nerve to our brain, like our enteric nervous system that innovates a whole gastrointestinal tract. Mm. Um, so for someone, sometimes I have clients who are like, I'm anxious and I don't know why I don't have a reason um, or I'm, you know, depressed, but I, I can't really understand my life's great. Um, or they're having other neurological symptoms and we can, and, and often they can happen when they're having some kind of, Um, reaction in the gut as well and that's you know that two-way street of communication yeah wow so how do we uh what are your favorite ways to look after the nervous system for clients so I like um thinking about it in terms of um brain waves so I really like that the understanding of the brain waves because I find that when I explain that to people it gives them something a bit more tangible like when we say our nervous yeah when we say our nervous system it's like yes we kind of we understand what that is but it's a bit harder to grasp so I like the brain waves because you you know you think about the beta brain waves everyone can understand that okay well you're in a certain type of brain wave when you're thinking planning doing and you're, you're a different one when you're in that um, alpha brain wave and you're in that more relaxed state so um, I like to work on whatever you like doing that switches you from beta brainwave state to alpha brainwave state. So that could be meditation. It could be breathing. It could be a walking in the park. It could be laying down under a tree. It could be gardening. It could be surfing. Uh, it could be swimming, like, you know, really finding anything that switches you in that state. And I find when you get that kind of understanding of that that it's like you're wanting to switch into that kind of brain state it gives you that freedom to find what actually works for you rather than trying to adhere to someone else's idea of what that is Um, so and it's like that exercising the brain in that way the more you switch from beta to alpha the better you get at it the easier it becomes and what I also think is important is looking at this as a throughout the day thing not you know do yoga in the morning and meditate for bed. Um, That's great to bookend the day like that, but it doesn't take you out of being in low-grade chronic stress all day long if you're just constantly in this beta brainwave state. Um, So I like to look at it throughout the day. So um, if you are feeling stressed and overwhelmed, it's probably because you're stuck in beta thinking, planning, doing, and that's using that frontal lobe. It's like our... um, It's like the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, It's kind of like the executive functioning. That's what I'm looking for. So it's, you know, that's that kind of um, filing cabinet that, you know, the, 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 
runner of the file. It's getting late, so I'm like, <laughs> that thing, you know, it's the in thing. charge of the filing cabinet. It's filing things away, finding them again, making sure everything's organized. And Maybe so your brain's starting to yes. file things away. Exactly. The the <laughs> My prefrontal cortex is going, no. Um, so when we're just, when that's in overdrive and it has no time to process, we end up overwhelmed and struggling to function throughout the day and getting stressed and finding it hard to think clearly. So you might find that if you go and just do something to get you in alpha brain waves, even for a few minutes, when you come back to your task, you can do it better because you've given your brain some time to process and clear and realign itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I don't know if I answered your question, but. <laughs> no, I think you absolutely did. Um, I, I think my big takeaway from what you said there is just scheduling in a bit of bookending for your day is not enough. No, it's not. And mm. that it's great, but it's not the answer. It's, it's like, it's like exercise too. You can't sit at your computer all day long and then just go for a walk in the evening or do yoga in the morning. It's great to do that, but you're still sedentary because you are sitting all day long. So that's, you know, it's the same kind of concept. So it's really looking at how, how to bring it throughout your day. And I, I do some work um, with some corporate um, companies and I did that one where I got them to then for a week, just do a really short breathing exercise um, a couple of times a day. So I got them to set alarms in their phone at 10, 1 and 3. So 10 a.m., 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. and just do a really short breathing exercise. It's called the 478 breath. And it's basically just breathing in for four through the nose, uh, then holding for seven and then breathing out for eight. And it's just switches you into that parasympathetic nervous system. So out of that fight or flight into that rest or digest. Great for um, that connection between the brain and the gut. So vagus nerve. Um, and they really found that it changed the way their whole day went and the way their brain functioned for the whole day. So yeah, that's my tip is to rather than going, okay, well, I need to go do some mindfulness activity for an hour to try and, um, you know, switch out of this fight or flight and, you know, heal my nervous system. It's more looking at how can I bring it in throughout the day yeah, um, to change how I am actually functioning throughout the day. Pockets of chill. Yes. I oh, mm. love it. <laughs> Hashtag pockets of chill. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually uh, the reason I said I shared that then is because I'm in the middle of writing a post called Pockets of Chill um, to just give people some tiny little ideas on how to bring this stuff into their day because I'm such a big believer in it as well. I know I need it too. And I've even started to figure out ways that I can do like I do breathing exercises while my guests are on a tirade about particular subjects I'm like yeah they're going to be on this for a while and and I'm listening and I'm very present but I'm also deep breathing um, and making sure I'm resetting myself because when you speak especially when you speak in a passionate conversation uh you are very beta. It is so thinking, planning, doing. And so to kind of just make sure you create waves and, you know, light and shade in your, um, in your energy, I think is really the, the big takeaway there. And what people are going to find is uh, from what you've shared tonight is just how impactful that can be on how happy or unhappy one's gut is, whether you are doing these things or not. Yes, 
Definitely. Mm. So um, you've mentioned gaps quite a few times tonight, and I obviously defined it in the intro so people would know what we were going to be speaking about when, um, as it's your sort of healing dietary preference for most people. Um, How does one navigate the fact that while you've told us, you know, it's really important not to stress, at the end of the day, doing something like GAPS, certainly the intro diet, which is very restrictive, can be psychologically stressful to people no matter how calm your life is because it's such often such a departure from what you are normally doing. How do you help people keep that sense of, of calm and pockets of chill uh, yeah. when, when making such a massive overhaul? So really by what you said there about like a massive overhaul and so far departure from what you're doing. I don't do that. So Ah, okay. Yeah. So that's when it, when I kind of look at where somebody's at, it's, I always look at what are the next steps from where you are right now? And that's how I teach my clients to look at it. So, and I guess this is a difference when I was talking before about how I used to do gaps and then I had my kind of, wake up and when this isn't right this isn't right how people are ending up that was jumping into intro too early people being very enthusiastic nowadays it's like I get clients come to me I'm going to do intro and I'm like no you're not you've got to hold you've literally got to hold them back I'm like no 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 no. let's just do this stuff first I don't love that for you no (laughs) yeah yeah that's not it's like I'm working five jobs and I've got all this going on and my gut's doing this so I think I need intro yeah um so yeah I really look at we've got to go from where you are at um and it's kind of like looking at the lowest hanging fruit in terms of gut health so that's where I'm looking at that you know the stress picture the nervous system and the guard and kind of like working on it all at the same time and it's basically any decision we make of how we're going to approach health it has to be improving overall health we can't go okay well we're just going to focus on the guard so we're going to do gaps intro we're going to start tomorrow and this is how it's going to look because we just need to focus on healing the gut but in the meantime everything else goes downhill because you're so stressed stressed and overwhelmed trying to do it you can't just isolate one area heal it while degrading every other area it just doesn't work like that so I really look at the overall picture and go what is it we need to do here Um, so how I work with every client is so different for that reason and I've watched the same client do like jump in head first into intro come to me in the midst of it in an absolute stress mess going this is too hard and I can't cope and then we've I've started with them going right stop intro go back to full gaps and let's just take things slowly here and I'll work with them say over like six months and change and adjust and do all these things and they end up doing intro again in of such a calm and like this was just the next step so intro of gaps looks really scary for people when it is so far from what you're currently doing but if you're looking at anything and it's so far from what you're currently doing it is not your next step mm, such so you, yeah, great advice yeah so you really need to look at what your next step is and if you are looking at taking an approach and it makes you want to curl up on the floor in the corner 
it is not the right approach for you right now. So it doesn't matter how good something seems. I love that you've said these things. This is so good. It's just so refreshing. Yes, I know. And it's funny because people expect me not to say that. Like Mm. I'll get a client and it's like they sit about a metre away from the the computer screen or maybe even two metres because they just don't want to get too close to me because I might tell them to do intro. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, no, it's like we we need to really look at where you're at and what the right next step is. And I think with, you know, I always joke about Instagram and influencers and, you know, all that kind of stuff, guiding health at the moment. And it's, I think we're so driven by what other people are doing and Mm. that, okay, well, that's what's working. And so that's what I should do, or this is what I should do. And this, it gets so confusing, Mm. Uh, but I find it so much simpler if you look at what's the next step from where I'm at. So if I go and do intro now, it is not stressful. It feels like a normal day in my life because Mm. It's so normal to me. I've done it quite a few times and I've gone a bit, I go about it in a way that it's just not stressful. So, um, yeah, so I guess like um, I'm kind of like that advocate for gaps in a sense of uh, it gets that reputation as being so restrictive and so stressful and it just should not be that way. It's that we're not approaching it in the right way. Yeah, gotcha. And, uh, you know, from what you've described, like, if we're on a whole foods diet as it is, it's more like taking a gentle break and winding things back for a little bit really rather yeah. than, um, you know, moving from up and goes and Nutri-Grain to yeah, broth exactly. for three days. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You should not be doing that. And so, um, and especially like I'll get lots of um, families, like I work with a lot of families and often what I do is really just work with the mum first. Like, and, you know, as mums are, it's like, this child has this going on and I really want to focus on them. And it's usually quite confronting when I say, can we just focus on you first? Um, Because it's that whole, you know, fit your oxygen mask before you fit anyone else's that when we can get you feeling better, then it's easier to help other people. So that's one thing I say as well, that sometimes instead of trying to fix everybody all at once, you just need to focus on yourself and taking those steps and and then it feels all like so much better and so much less overwhelming so um, and often the stress involved with doing something like gaps is because that person is in fight or flight they are experiencing anxiety they are they are experiencing all the symptoms of being unwell so it's like I say to people like you're not well enough to do gaps intro yet like wow. we need to get you better first and then you can do that and that's kind of not really the way people have been looking at it yeah, so you, you then end up making something like gaps uh, the icing on the cake. Yeah, exactly. Except that what, there's no icing on yes. cakes in no. gaps. Well, it could be. It <laughs> Don't could get excited. Be a, it could be a butter, <laughs> butter and cacao and honey icing, which is really nice. That is nice, actually. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's looking at it like that. That it's um, it's. So it's very rare now that I get a client and say, okay, we're starting with intro. Like I can't mm-hmm. even actually, it's hard for me to recall the last client I had and that's where we started. I love it. And so given GAPS means gut and psychology syndrome. Or gut uh, and physiology. Oh, so physiology, both. sorry. Yeah. So it's both gut and psychology and gut and physiology syndrome. There's two books now. Yeah, I, rem- yeah. I remembered that just as soon as you said that word. So um, how have you seen this kind of 
dietary healing uh, impact someone's psychology? Well, for my own, I could talk about my own. That's yeah, go for it. Start. So anxiety and depression were both issues for me. And so what I found for myself is that working on my gut was a really important piece of the puzzle with my mental health, but it wasn't the whole picture. And it, I, I could say pretty much it never is the whole picture. And if someone has been through something traumatic and you try and you say, oh, you, it's your gut, you know, gut issues cause mental health problems. And they're like, like, well, that does not make sense to me. I've been through something really traumatic. Um, it's more that, you know, there's more than one way that something develops and there's always a multitude of factors that have gone into um, a mental health issue. So, and for me, there was stuff that I needed to work through. I, I saw a counsellor and um, a psychologist and, you know, so things I needed to work through. But what I found is that when I did get to the bottom of gut issues, that that stuff seemed to have more of an impact. So I really like analogies. And one of the analogies I use for this and many health issues is like if you dislocated your shoulder multiple times, you could go and get all of the, you know, massage and therapy and exercise physiology and all those osteopathy and whatever. Um, and you just need a shoulder reconstruction. And it's like, you, no matter what therapies you do, it's not getting to the bottom of it because you need a shoulder reconstruction. So once you get the shoulder reconstruction, all those therapies are really useful and quite necessary. So it's like seeing the gut as, um, as being a part of the picture that it can make us more prone to having mental health issues. Like if your gut is not in a good place, then it's kind of acts like that weak link in the chain that what two people can go through the exact same experiences. One can end up with mental health issues while the other doesn't. Um, so it's like there's genetic predispositions at play as well as what's going on in our gut. So, um, and I guess that's what it was for me that just working on mental health alone through the use of counselors and psychologists wasn't getting to the bottom of it but working on the gut alone wouldn't have either. So it was doing both together. That was that sweet spot for me for getting to that. And where, so where I'm at at the moment, depression isn't a problem anymore. Anxiety is something that still rears its head at times, but I know what triggers it. Um, and it's so much better than what it was when my gut was not in a happy state. And so I know it's when I'm stressed or overwhelmed, when I haven't slept well, um, that I'll be more prone to anxiety. And it also becomes familiar. It's like, ah, oh, there, there it is, that's anxiety. So I know I don't have to go, you know, following down that path there of what I'm thinking, like I can just kind of wind that back. So it feels like this manageable level of normal anxiety to me now than it, what it used to feel like, that it used to completely get away from me. So there's not some clean cut answer there with mental health stuff. And that's what I see with a lot of my clients too. It's just more looking at how these pieces of the puzzle fit together and the different, you know, just covering all of your bases with yeah. mental health. Yeah. Love it. And when you do have a period of anxiety or a wave of anxiety come over you, what is the next 24, 48 hours for you food and activity wise? So food wise, things don't really change much there for me in that I now eat a whole food diet with flexibility in that if I were to 
go to a friend's house I pretty much eat whatever they fed me um mm. as long as it wasn't like McDonald's or something like that I draw I draw yeah. a line I have some dignity <laughs> I would draw the line at Macca's as well and I'm super <laughs> flexible at other people's houses I'm just zero judgment yeah zero like oh really like I just eat and uh, enjoy the experience of the yeah. friends that's what yeah. I focus on yeah um, absolutely. Me but too. yeah no I'm just sort of curious to know like because often given the connection of food um, and anxiety can be so strong for some people, there can be like a bit of a, oh, okay, so for the next couple of days I'm just going to lay low and and focus on these couple of simple dishes type thing. Yeah, so I would try and avoid um, eating anything sugary or too sweet or anything like that because I would find if I was already feeling anxious, if I ate anything too sweet or anything with any kind of caffeine in it or dark chocolate or things like that, um, they would be things that I would avoid. Sometimes I can get a little histamine sensitive if I way overdo it. Like I have to really overdo it. Everybody has a level at which they tolerate histamines. Um, So I have to really overdo it to get symptoms, but anxiety and overactive mind would be a symptom for me. Uh, So then I would look at just being careful with the histamine foods um, if that was the case. But I look more at I get out in nature. And I also, I really, because I'm so aware of when anxiety pops up and I know that I can just feel completely different the next day. So I don't let my mind get carried away with whatever it is that's coming up for me. And I also try and switch to alpha brainwave. So I just go, right. I know what I know that overwhelm is a massive anxiety trigger for me. So that's usually what's behind it. And when you have lack of sleep, that that hinders your executive functioning as well. So I know if I don't sleep well or if I've got too much on my mind, that's usually my main trigger now. So I kind of give myself permission not to think about it. I'm just like, right, I need to put these things aside. I need to think about it tomorrow. There might be some things I just have to do right now and I'll just try and get on top of those. But then I do whatever I can to get out of beta brainwaves and get into alpha brainwaves um, as much as I can throughout the day. And I find that really, really helps because it just changes changes your whole way that you're functioning. It changes your whole nervous system. So, um, and it helps your brain like realign itself and it helps you process. So if you're not giving yourself time to process throughout the day, if you're not switching into that alpha, then you won't be able to go to sleep at night because you're doing all your processing then. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, that's the main one for me. I I think more nervous system and neurologically when I'm anxious. That's what I focus on. Yeah, nice. Elise, this was such a fantastic conversation. I think uh, a lot of people were perhaps expecting, okay, these are your top foods for anxiety <laughs> and um, you know, this is your prescription to feel better. And really health is always just such a beautiful big picture. And for me, that makes it a less overwhelming uh, exercise in uh, working on my health, um, especially having had a few very tricky years now. Um, I think it's, uh, it's so much nicer when you take into account all of the things that have an impact because then when a particular aspect of your health uh, seeking or cultivating efforts aren't going so well 
you can go, you know what? My stomach feels like shit today, but that doesn't mean I can't call a friend and have a great chat or go for a walk in nature. There are other things I could work on today if this part's not so great. And I think that's a really, really important theme in this conversation. And I'm really glad we had it and um, you were able to impart so much fabulous wisdom. Oh, such a pleasure. And I think one thing I like to get across to people is there's no end point. No. We're not trying not. to get We're not arriving anywhere. No, that's right. Mm. It's just this ongoing fun process. Yeah. And it is fun. Look at all the fun bits. Yeah. Definitely. Love going for a swim and catching up with friends and thinking about how I can make an impact in my circle or the world. Like those things are fun. And yeah. I think We've made health so darn serious. We have. I know Mm. we have. Yeah. So here's to having a bit more fun, looking at that diary, doing some jigging around. And, and of course, that's all going to help you weather any storms and challenges that you are experiencing with your health, which I think makes it all worthwhile. Yes. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart S T U A R T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.